0: The Secrets of Dr Who is brought to you by The Star Quest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com/give. You're listening to The Secrets of Doctor Who, where we discuss everything about the hit BBC series, Doctor Who. And today we're discussing the next part of the Six Doctors' Last Adventure called The Brink of Death. I'm Don Bettinelli. The Bentinelli. last
1: part of the Six Doctors' <laughs> Last Adventure.
0: <laughs> That's right. The last of the last. I'm Don Bettinelli, and joining me today on the panel are Jimmy Aiken. Hey, Jimmy. Howdy, Dom. And Father Corey Stiga. Hey, Father Corey. How's it going? Folks, uh, be sure to write a review of the show on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get podcasts from that allow reviews and share the podcast with your friends. That helps us grow our community of Doctor Who fans and reach even more listeners. Uh, Another show on the StarQuest Network you are sure to enjoy is The Secrets of Star Trek, which you can find wherever fine podcasts are found or at sqpn.com slash Trek. So we've got a little bit of uh, news to start off, or rumor news <laughs> to start off, but it looks pretty like a pretty solid rumor. The in Deadline, which is a Hollywood uh, magazine, reports that there is going to be a Doctor Who spinoff show based on UNIT, uh, and that Gemma Redgrave, who plays Kate Stewart, in, who has played Kate mm-hmm. Stewart in Doctor Who in recent years, is has been signed on. So that seems pretty solid. Um, Russell T Davies has indicated that he would like with this Disney plus deal, he would like to expand the Hooniverse. Uh, so what do you guys think is deep? Are you looking forward to it based on past Dr. Who spinoff stuff? What do you think?
2: Yeah, I I don't know. I I was never, I really never watched Torchwood part partially because they really dug deep into the more mature, uh, content, uh, on that one. But I also just don't really have, I don't know, I, I'll have to wait and see uh, what uh, this Unit series is like. I'd like to see something like that. I think Unit has a lot of good stories and could make Unit a more interesting uh, organization again. I mean, it, you look at Classic Who, and it it very much is an important part of the storyline, very much an interesting, uh, uh, th- again, organization within the Classic Who but you look at new who and it, it there's times when it was just basically a joke. And if we could have something like that, I, I think, and I think, um, more recent years, they've tried to make it a little more serious and, and interesting, but, um, so this could help with that as well. So that, that would be nice to nice to see. So I, I guess it's kind of be a wait and see how Russell T Davies handles this.
1: How about you, Jimmy? Well, I, um, you know i'm in favor of the idea of a kind of marvelification of the universe where we have different shows and set in different parts of it that doesn't mean um i'm equally interested in all of them um i would be much more interested in like an eighth doctor one season of The Eighth Doctor. You know, that would be immensely interesting to me. Much more than Unit. Um, you know, I, Unit is okay to have as part of the Hooniverse if you think you've got an interesting story to tell, like a season-long story. Um, and, and by that, I mean more than a season arc, like we've had, like Bad Wolf, you know, where you really don't even know it's there until the very end. If you have, like, uh, I could be interested in a real season long story about a single alien invasion of Earth featuring Unit. That would be interesting. But I don't know that I'm particularly interested in an ongoing series of episodic Unit television because Unit has always just been the uh, kind of the backdrop to the Doctor. And you could tell interesting stories with it, but I, I don't know that I would try to do a Torchwood where it's an ongoing series of individual weekly stories. I don't know how interesting that that is. It'd be kind of like the third Doctor Zero without the third Doctor. So, um, you know, wouldn't wouldn't be particularly interested, but, you know, open to seeing what they do.
0: Yeah, I guess I'm similar in that uh, as I was talking to my wife, Melanie, about it, you know, well, the reason we like Doctor Who is The Doctor and, you know, that the, these other series that they've had, whether it's Torchwood or Class, which I don't think I ever watched, um, mm. was aimed at a younger audience anyway.
1: Well, um, and it was highly problematic, which is why I never watched
0: it. Oh, OK. Uh, you know, they they don't have The Doctor. So, you know, what makes Doctor Who interesting is The Doctor would a show about unit without the doctor mm. be as interesting it could be like you said uh, jimmy like they could make it good i mean it's any, anything could be good but I'm, i don't automatically say yes you know let's have more of that <laughs> like i do with you know it's like star trek or star wars mm-hmm. you know set in those universes I, i'm more predisposed with this i don't know if like if i'm automatically predisposed to a spinoff from doctor who without the doctor you know, well.
1: yeah, there's certainly something to be said for you having a compelling character at the center of your story. I would be much more interested, like in the Sarah Jane adventures, um, you know, because of Sarah Jane. She's a more compelling personality, not as compelling as the doctor, but, you know, more than average. And so, you know, the the lead character for a unit series would be Gemma Redgrave, at least presumably, and I think it's interesting, I, I don't think she's hugely compelling as a character. She's she's certainly not Sarah Jane, and Sarah Jane is not as the most compelling even of the fourth Doctor's companions to me. Um but but Jimmy Redgrave has been with the series for a long time. She got her start in the dark time between the mm-hmm. the, the original series and the new series on home video and i i it's like what a wild ride that must be for her she had this little throwaway home video doctor who knockoff part hmm. you know in the 1990s and now she's heading a series of her own right yeah that's true that's true
0: um yeah i can, I was thinking of other you know spinoffs that might be interesting you know uh what happened to Clara in uh, Clara me? You know the, the that mm. whole thing where she went off. You know they went off of their own TARDIS, uh, or you know other no, companions. I just me no. is
1: too depressing to me. <laughs>
0: yeah, I, I know she's al- it, you know the whole she's already dead thing, but you know other companions. You know like that whole thing where they did where that the the the, the uh, support group of former companions, mm-hmm. something that where you had former companions getting together, depending on which ones they were. That could also be interesting. So I'm open-minded about the idea of the universe, like like you are, Jimmy. Uh, but but I'm not quite sure about any particular one. So we'll see how it goes.
2: I, I have to admit the idea of all these franchises having to have a verse, having to have a universe or a verse. You know, I I, I don't know. I just like not every scandal has to be a gate. Not every <laughs> not every universe or not every franchise needs to be a universe. Mm. And I mean, I think there are lots, lots of stories that can be told in Doctor Who, but you've got a lead character, a main character that lasts for thousands of years. There are hundreds, if not millions of stories they can tell just surrounding the lead character.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think without getting into other,
2: like, like you said, Jimmy, you know, doing an eighth doctor series of stories would be fantastic. You Mm -hmm. know, I, I absolutely would agree with that. I'd love to see more development of that character, especially leading up to the time war. I think that would be a an interesting time to look at in his story mm. i
1: I think a good model for a diversification of the universe is big finish because they that's what they are is an expansion from the main show. They don't have the main show, but they do stories about different doctors. They have series about different doctors. They have series about important characters like River Song or the Master or Missy, um, you know, and others. Um, so I think they've really done it well. Now they also have some series that aren't. Aren't character specific in the same way, or aren't character driven in the same way? So, in addition to having character focused ones like on Missy or River or the Master or the War Master, they also have ones called Cyberman and Daleks and um, uh, Oh, there was another one, Gallifrey, and those are also feature. Characters like if you listen to Gallifrey, you'll hear more um, adventures with Romana 2, and because Lala, uh, uh, Lala Ward plays the L- Lord President in it, and also Leela, because Leela got left on so Louise Jameson is in it because Leela got left on Gallifrey, so they're both in the Gallifrey series, but I just don't find these less character focused ones like gallifrey or daleks or cybermen as compelling and big finishes correspondingly made less made fewer of them
0: mm-hmm. mm, yeah they actually made a series of unit ones too which mm-hmm. i i got in a sale but i haven't listened to it yet so it, 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 i'm now interested in, in checking those out to see mm-hmm. if they if they're any good Well, speaking of Big Finish, maybe we should move on to talk about our main topic for today, which is uh, this story called The Brink of Death, which is the fourth part of The Sixth Doctor's Last Adventure. Uh, Jimmy, can you give us a recap of what happens in this one?
1: This week, the Sixth Doctor and Mel are on board the TARDIS when the Doctor goes to fix a problem, and he returns, transformed into the Valeyard. But Mel doesn't notice. Her memories seem to have somehow been altered. Meanwhile, the Doctor himself finds himself in the Matrix on a Celestial Intervention Agency space station with his data pattern about to be deleted. And he makes contact with Genesta, a Time Lord technician who helps him and takes him in her TARDIS. They go to a planet where the Valyard has taken Mel. Its moon has been turned into a power station, destroying a telepathic race of microbes known as the Nathemus. Although the Doctor keeps getting yanked back into the Matrix, only to be brought out again by Genesta, the Doctor eventually uncovers the Valyard's evil, timey-wimey plan. The Valyard had saved some of the Nathamus before the destruction of their moon, and he promised them the Sixth Doctor's mind to feed on. During the adventure, back when they were on the werewolf planet, the Valyard infected the TARDIS with the Nathomus, and they've been feeding off the Doctor telepathically ever since. They've also been infecting the Matrix, which is part of the Valyard's plan, because he's developing the ability not just to replace the Doctor, but all of the time, uh, all of the Time Lords ever, including the Great Rassilon himself. He's going to remanifest as each one, kind of like the Master in the Master Race subplot of the End of Time. Mm-hmm and that will allow him to reshape Time Lord history. In fact, he's already replaced Genestra, and after revealing who he is, the Valeyard taunts the Doctor. The Doctor eventually foils his plan, though, by using the telepathic circuits in Janestra's TARDIS to plant a seed in the mind of his earlier self. This leads his earlier self to go to the system that we saw at the beginning of the seventh Doctor's incarnation in the TV episode, Time of the Rani, the really day-glow pastel planet. There, the sixth Doctor is exposed to radiation that is fatal to Time Lords, causing his regeneration into the seventh Doctor. Since the seventh Doctor's mind is different, this breaks the connection with the Anathemus, leaving them nothing to feed on, and thus thwarts the Valeurs' plan to take control of the Matrix and dominate Time Lord society. This also will leave the Valiard trapped in the Matrix and unable to harm anyone. But the older Doctor, the older version of the Sixth Doctor, is also trapped in the Matrix. But he knows that he will regenerate because his future self, the Seventh Doctor, appears to him. And together they say, our future is in safe hands. The end.
0: All right, before we get into the details, what would you all think of this one? Uh, Jimmy, what would you think?
1: I thought it was okay. I liked the timey-wiminess of it because we're, we are hopping around in the timeline of the boxed set. You know, the doctor goes and, like, confronts the Valyard back on the werewolf planet. And the Valyard is talking about what he's going to do in the future, which is we have just seen. Mm-hmm. And so it's, it's got this timey-wimey aspect. Um, Mel does not have very much to do in this story. Mel is really a side character. She's in a few scenes, and I the only reason I think they brought Bonnie Langford into this is, well, Bonnie Langford is in Time in the Ronnie, so Mm -hmm. she needs to be there for this story. But they didn't write her integrally into it. Instead, they introduced the new temporary companion, Janesta, and the Doctor even offers her companionhood, and it's left open. They haven't brought her back, but they could bring her back for that. One thing that occurred to me is that a lot of the dialogue in this is much more straightforward. There's not a lot of clever wordplay, even though the Valeyard is involved. Um, Like, you know, there was a brilliant line last episode where the doctor is talking about Flip and says she doesn't have an evil thought in her body. And Mm. the Valeyard says you might even dispense with the adjective, Mm. meaning – Get rid of the word evil, and she doesn't have a thought in her body. Yeah. I mean, you know, there is that's clever wordplay. Um, and you don't really have that in this episode. It's much more straightforward. It's also more intellectual as a story than most regeneration stories. It's very high concept, whereas most regeneration stories have, much, have a more prominent action element in them. And so I thought it was interesting from that perspective.
0: How about you, Father Corey?
2: Yeah, I, I agree a lot with what Jimmy said. It was, it was a interesting story. It, it, it obviously served the, the job that the BBC themselves didn't do, which was to actually give a, a a story that led to his regeneration. Um, it, it wasn't the best, but I, I, I thought it was okay. Um, it was part and part of being in audio only drama there. I, Found it a little bit confusing because there was a lot of, like you said, Jimmy, timey wimey going on, and because and when you're bouncing around like that, you've got to kind of keep track in your, in for me at least, I have to keep track in kind of my mental imagination. Where where are they? What's going on? Where have they been? Where are they going? You know, and it, so, and of course, it keeps jumping back to that space station, and Janesta having to come and rescue the doctor again. It's, yeah
0: yeah i i would agree it's it's not the i don't think it's the best of these four stories uh certainly I, I i don't know the first or the maybe the third uh might be my favorites of these four but uh it's serviceable it's good it gets us where we need to go it it caps off the story i did also find it a little bit confusing at times of where we were not super hard i could get back to where you know i could figure it out um i uh, it did lack a little bit of that clever dialogue that that the uh, previous ones had too. I, I noticed that too. So I mean, it's good. I'm glad it gave us the, the six Doctors regeneration story. It just wasn't wasn't fantastic. It was good. It was you know. And which it sounds like damning with faint praise, but you know, yeah. it was good. Uh, so let's uh, you know get into some of the details of this one. Uh, let's talk about Janesta. I found her interesting in that. Mm -hmm. her character sounded a lot like Michelle Gomez. Like the actress playing her sounded a lot Mm -hmm. like Missy. Like in the way she talked, especially at the beginning, Hmm. which is interesting given that she doesn't
1: have a Scottish accent.
0: No, but there's that sassiness in the Mm -hmm. character and, you know, as a time lady, you know, that, that whole thing. And this came out around the time that Missy was showing up in the, in the 12th doctor for the first time, you know, 2015, Mm. I don't know if that was intentional or unintentional. I,
1: I would think that's just coincidence. Okay. But um, I get, I mean, I can kind of see it. She does what she, what Janesta doesn't have that Missy does is zaniness. Right. Janesta Gen, is not zany. She's, she's very working class. um, And she's got a working class, you know, accent and, and, and she doesn't have, but she, she does have some of the sassiness that Missy does, but she doesn't have the zaniness. Um, one thing I noticed, and I wondered if this was foreshadowing for the reveal at the end, because the Valyard has replaced her and, and then unmasks himself um, somehow. Uh, and it's left ambiguous how long he's been Janesta. Uh, he hints to the doctor. He might have been her the whole time. And I thought, and I knew that this reveal was coming. And I noticed leading up to it that, um, that Janesta keeps using derogatory, childish insult names for the Valyard. You know, she calls mm-hmm. him the Knacker's Yard. And it's like she's doing exactly what the doctor did mm-hmm. in Trial Great. of a Time Lord by having all these other names for the Valyard. And I wondered if that's the Valyard poking fun at the doctor for having mm. done that mm. to him, if he's mocking the doctor and having an in joke there. But they they imply because you know the doctor's perspective is assumed to be more correct when there's an ambiguity. He doesn't believe that, that the Valyard was Genesta the whole time, and he says so. So right. that would tell that would telegraph to the reader there really was a Janesta. She's just been replaced. Yep.
0: Uh, Yeah, and I I did like, there were a couple of things that would indicate that she wasn't the villain all along. Like, one of them was that little, uh, I thought it was a nice bit of repartee about her accent. Like, Mm -hmm. the actress has a Yorkshire accent, and so how do we explain this? Well, she... Like the doctor she slipped away from her duties with the time lords uh and lived in yorkshire for a while and picked up the accent which is kind of kind of a fun little detail yeah, they
2: had, they had a school trip to to england to the to earth and she decided to stick around for a few years instead until the cia <laughs> caught up with her and Hold her back <laughs> right yeah right.
1: i and that leads to a nice uh, one of the nice bits of dialogue um actually this is this is a good bit of dialogue where uh the doctor is telling Genesta that I once slipped away for Sometime as well, and I'll tell you all about it someday. Only mine, I when I slipped away, it was on a bit of a grander scale. And she, <laughs> and having come from slipped away to Yorkshire, she says, London, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah that, that, was that was good. London and even beyond, yep.
0: <laughs> uh, and another bit where she reveals something that I don't think the billion might have revealed, but she's although. Uh, well, I'll, I'll tell you, and then we we'll, can discuss it. She says that she found out the Valeyard is a like we've discussed before, a distillation of all the the evil in the Doctor. But she adds to create a weapon, and this was mm-hmm. done by the Time Lord Black Ops Division. Mm-hmm. Right? Do you think the Valeyard revealing something about himself?
1: Through? Oh, I could imagine the Valyard revealing that to the doctor. Oh, uh, I'm a living weapon. Yeah, he could reveal that. Yeah. yeah. Um, and in fact, they—they, they, I think they pay that off in big finish be, eventually. Because they started doing a series on the Time War, and they have a war, ver, a time war version of the Valyard. So there's a war Valyard, and that makes all the sense in the world. You mm-hmm. know, Russell T. Davies created the Time War, looking back. On things that actually happened in Doctor mm-hmm. Who, like um, Genesis of the Daleks, is sort of the first the first shot of the Time War, where the 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 Time Lords are trying to rewrite Dalek history. Mm-hmm. and there and then later the the in the fifth doctor's time they the daleks strike back and try to assassinate the time lord high council and then in the seventh doctor's time he just apparently destroys scaro he at least tries mm-hmm. to destroy scaro and and russell t davies noticed that pattern and said okay let's let's make this into an event and so, reaching back and making the Valyard part of the Time War and retconning his origin as he's he, he was built as a weapon um, that, that 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 makes sense to me.
0: Yeah, given that they also enlisted the Master, you know, the War Master, mm-hmm. and you know the, that it's clear that the Time Lord's ethics and morality is often, usually, <laughs> questionable uh, in mm-hmm. a lot of these things. Um, yeah, that makes it does make sense that they would you know distill all the evil part of the doctor out because of the doctor's skill and mm-hmm. but make that into a a weapon yeah that that sounds like them <laughs> <laughs> so um other elements of this show uh you know we 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 mentioned of this uh, story we mentioned how mel is only in this very briefly she's at the beginning the end and there's a bit in the middle right where yeah
1: on the um, planet where she's go- wandering around a market but right. not much happens and then the Valeyard come and gets her and they go back on his tardis and he's cryptic to her and that's about it
0: it was interesting how in the you know that that moment where he's talking again this is something you can do in audio where like something's not right and then she eventually just kind of accepts, like he's the doctor. She starts calling him doctor. You know, in a in a video visual sense, you would be seeing the veiled character there, but in audio, you're hearing the voice. I think it just strikes differently in an audio presentation mm-hmm. than a, than in a a, a TV you know, visual presentation. So I thought that was interesting way to do that. Um,
2: well, and they don't. They don't really explain how she was basically brainwashed to think that the the Veljard, you know, that at, at that change, she just accepted it, you know, mm-hmm. more or less. I mean, again, like you said, there was a little bit of confusion, but we don't see that with Janesta. We don't see that with the doctor himself. He obviously recognizes the Valyard right away, as she mm-hmm. does. But of course, you know, when was she the veilard as well in disguise? Yeah, so.
1: yeah. I I think the and they don't explain it, but I think they mean us. To understand that the Valeard has done something to alter Mel's mind or perceptions at least. He's either got a perception filter on her or he's hypnotized her into thinking he's the doctor or something like that. But uh, they do allude to her having a moment of transition where she seems confused and then she says, I had a headache. And so that's kind of a sign the Valeard did something to her. Right. That has is making her perceive him as the doctor. Only it's taken a minute to kick in, right. and um, so that's that's how I understood
2: that. And that that could be the the uh, uh, te- telepathic circuits of the TARDIS and all that. Mm-hmm. Those kind mm-hmm. of explanations, you know. I mean, but it, it's clear too that the Valyard doesn't show up in the Doctor's coat because there's mm-hmm. the line where the Doctor is standing by in Janesta and and Mel. Janessa asked, Do you recognize him? And she goes, Well, I'd, I'd recognize that code anywhere, and I've never seen it before.
0: Right, mm-hmm. right. Um, the other element to this is that there's a ticking clock. You know, the doctor's pattern in the Matrix is use almost like a transporter buffer for if you're a Star Trek fan. Uh, it's, it's degrading. And we have this time, the, the, these diagnostic tools in the Matrix are going to clear him out soon. Mm-hmm. And Janesta is, you know, constantly trying to stop them from working. But every time the doctor gets sucked, you know, comes out of the matrix and then gets sucked back in, it the clock ticks forward. And so you have this this ticking clock, which is a nice dramatic element to have to keep this, you know, the, the little bit of tension throughout the story. I mean, we we know always know that the the doctor will win, but but there's still this tr- this tension of the time passing, which I thought was good.
1: I I wasn't as pleased with it. I thought it was sort of formulaic because initially she Genesta tells the doctor it's going to delete your data in six minutes, and then she gets him out, and the next time oh now it's four minutes, and then it's mm-hmm. three minutes, and two minutes, and one minute, and then yeah it's longer than a minute, but I'm not sure how long. And you know it I, I'm I'm frequently not impressed by ticking clocks at least. Mm. In that fashion, at least the way it was played out here, i wasn't, mm. but I guess it does explain that the older version of the doctor is not still trapped in the matrix. I guess he got deleted
0: <laughs> right mm-hmm. right gets wiped out that that's true um you know, speaking of Mel, going back to Mel for a second in, in my notes i have she when she's in the on this planet plastinius um and she's in this marketplace, she encounters this random woman mm-hmm. who tells her, you know she, she gives the, the info dump about the 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 moon and the all native life being wiped out, which is important for later on when we encounter the anathemus, but she also tells Mel she's lying to herself about the Valiard, you know the doctor. Mm-hmm. who is this woman? was
1: it- uh, yeah, I know it sounds like oh there's actually two women she meets in the market that mm-hmm. are important, and it and they both sound like, oh, this sounds like it's an important character who's going to come back later. Nope.
2: Yeah. yeah,
0: they just seem to have a random under- understanding of what something is wrong, but no explanation of why or yeah how. Yeah, that the, was a the, bit of a failure.
1: Their the function their function in the story is basically. I mean, they're, I think they're consciously modeled off gypsies, and mm-hmm. so it's like this. It's like the one who is so prophetic and insightful. Is like a gypsy fortune teller who want in a movie who wanders in and tells the main character important things and then vanishes.
0: Right, right. I guess so. Yeah they they could have done a better job
1: with that then. Yeah, <laughs> mm, yeah. I would have like. There's such. Oh, this is a compelling character. I want to hear more from this character, but we don't get any. No.
0: Nope. Yeah. So what did y'all think of the Anathemas? This this. I element? thought
1: their name was was a little obviously Latinate.
0: Yes, mm. like anathema. I mean, it, anathema. <laughs> it's just <laughs> yeah. you
1: stuck a masculine ending on that.
0: Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's not a and a. I guess. Well, at least according to um, the TARDIS. They, they,
1: well, they've lopped off the the first a, and they've yeah, added gorgeous. the the masculine us ending onto the end of the word. But otherwise, it's anathema.
0: Yeah, mm-hmm. it certainly sounds like it when you say it out aloud. And so, uh, I you know, they kind of felt tacked on like you know they should have been an important element and they just kind of show up at the end you know protest on mass and then are wiped out again I, I don't know i felt like they they might they must they might have been in a more important element of this story if they mm-hmm. had more time
1: yeah this story feels com- this last story feels compressed like there are elements of it, like the like the, the people, the ladies from the marketplace, and anathemas and so forth that need to be more developed, and Mel that mm-hmm. need to be more developed that have just been truncated for reasons of
2: time because this needs to fit in an hour, right?
1: Or. well, well <laughs>
2: yeah, well, when, and that because they they wanted it to be a sto- an hour long stories. All four stories are about right at an hour long. Yeah. Um, and it, supposedly they were on the TARDIS from the werewolf story, and the only kind of real reference we get to that is at the beginning of this. The Doctor talks about how the TARDIS is being odd. Yeah, that's and, true. I mean, because there is no, there is no hint in the other stories that that there was a problem with the TARDIS. You know, I mean, we had the the key stuck in the door that the Doctor figured out the the Valyard must have done something with his TARDIS instead of with the Valyard's TARDIS. But beyond that. It really, you know, there was nothing in, um, in the the story in England uh, with Jago and Lightfoot that really hinted that there was something going on in the background.
1: They, yeah, they did try, and so this is something that Big Finish will do frequently in the in the final story of a box set is try to tie together the previous mm-hmm. stories, and or you know themes from them, and they try to do that here. I don't think it's particularly successful. Yeah. Um. Uh, so we've had the three previous stories. The first one was set in the train yard and it introduced Tim Good as the Valierd, and nothing happens with that. There's, mm-hmm. I, you know, there's nothing from that story that provides a major element that gets paid off. Now mm. the second story is the, is the werewolf planet story, the red house. And in that one, he, the Valyard does steal um, Dr. Payton's psychic extraction machine. And that's apparently retooled and repurposed in his replacement plan in this episode somehow. So, And also that story gets, because we know the Valeard was in the doctor's TARDIS in that story, that's when he infected it with anathemas and the doctor goes back and confronts him there. And so that story, actually, the second story gets paid off a lot, Mm -hmm. in this one and that's good um the third story where he was sucking power out of human beings pretending to be his companions gets justified in this as well i knew i needed to be at the height of my powers to do this and the doctor says ah and that's why you were sucking energy from people back at the in the victorian theater and why you sucked my energy and stuff like that and it's like okay um so they have tied that one in but that feels awfully generic to me Right. It's not. There's not something specific that the Valiard acquired in that or did in that episode. It just. It's just a generic. I need more power, and I got more power, and it. Power is such a. Um, it, it's intangible. It's unmeasurable, and it doesn't feel concrete as a writing element. If like he had acquired a specific, not just power in general but a specific ability that he didn't have before. Right. Then it would feel much more earned in this. Um, but it doesn't feel earned because it's just, you can you can always have a villain say, I needed more
2: power and that's what I got in that episode. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and kind of my point was more with the anathemists themselves is mm-hmm. that they were supposedly present in all, in three of the four stories. But, and the TARDIS even up through, you know, the the connecting times between the stories, but there really wasn't anything in the other two stories to, to show that. Yeah. And that was, that was kind of more. My point was not so much connecting all four stories as it was that specific element mm-hmm. that they and, did. It almost seemed yeah. retconned. Yeah. I guess it's kind of what I'm trying to say.
0: And really isn't the TARDIS always acting oddly. <laughs> it's like, that's kind of the and nature of the TARDIS. <laughs> of, they even call it
2: out of this. They even kind of say, well, more oddly than normal or you know, <laughs> yeah, something yeah. like that.
0: So, um, the, and then the 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 Doctor's resolution because we always have to you know have this impossible thing you know we can o- overcome this obstacle, uh, and he comes up with the with the self sacrificing uh, solution to this one, which mm-hmm. which raises the stakes a lot in this mm-hmm. story. I mean, it's it's again, mm-hmm. the entire Time Lord Gallifrey sort of thing is at risk here, but um, but it does raise the stakes for the Doctor personally, and so his solution is just as his. Self in the matrix is dissolving. He sends one last message to his past self to change course and not go to where he was going in order to go to this different place that will cause the doctor to be irradiated and to have to regenerate. And that will change the course of time, which apparently means that this is not a fixed point in time, right? (laughs) It's clearly Mm -hmm. not a fixed point. So and that will kill off the Nathamis and that sort of thing. So uh you yeah, know I'm okay with that. I think that that's it's a sufficiently it, that works as a as a solution. Um and then then we have the resolution of the Doctor and the Valiard both being in the matrix together. Apparently the diagnostic tools will now wipe them both out in the matrix, right? right? Is is that they're both now glitches in the matrix? Uh,
1: I don't know. I I think the implication is the doctor is going to get erased. I the, what I got f- from the doctor's dialogue was that the Valyard will be trapped in the matrix,
2: mm-hmm. but not necessarily destroyed. Okay. Right. Yeah, the doctor will be defragged out of existence. <laughs> but not the Valyard. To use a '90s computer term,
0: or a Tron, right? <laughs> yep. Derezzed. Derezzed, Yes. Um. So, the TARDIS wiki the article there kind of tr- tries to make the point that one of the things the story is doing is also giving us an explanation for the seventh doctor's Machiavellian turn and, mm-hmm. and his willingness mm-hmm. to uh, bend his rules and bend his morality for the greater good and that sort of thing. Do you think that's
1: well, evident so, here? So the idea is that this story does that by plant, by because once the Doctor and the Valeyard are trapped in the Matrix, or are about to be trapped in the Matrix, the Doctor, the Valeyard says to, you know, the Doctor, "What happened to all your precious moral scruples?" And, mm-hmm. and Colin Baker says, "They died with me." And I think it's a very. In- I think that 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 could be on the writer's part a a setup for the Seventh Doctor's darker turn. Um I I think that could very well be intentional. Now, I think it's actually in the history of the show a retcon because mm-hmm. the 7th Doctor doesn't start out as dark as he becomes. He he there's even that was a conscious shift on the part of the writers after they introduced the 7th Doctor to say let's take him darker and they mm-hmm. even changed his costume yep. to make it darker colored. Um, so, so the seventh doctor was not originally planned to be as dark as he became, at least not so far as we know. So, in, however, in light of how dark he becomes, he, um, I think this line about the, my moral scruples died with me is a setup for that. They, they, that could very, or at least it very easily could be a setup for that. What I thought was interesting in, cause I read in the same, the same page on the TARDIS wiki um, that they could also see this as setting the doctor up to become to the Valeyard, because you look Mm -hmm. at some of the things that later doctors did like, I mean, nine, 10, 11, and 12, they all did some really callous, dark things that arguably are even bigger than what the uh, seventh doctor did. And so, you know, it, the, the, there could be an element of the Valeyard's triumph in here. Um, that the it, it, he, even though he lost the battle, he may still win the war because of the path the doctor is now on becoming darker. Um, so I thought that was interesting. There's also another interesting note, and this one I copied because I thought it's worth reading about the inspiration for this story because they, um, you know, they needed to write a story for the six Doctors' regeneration, and it needed to correspond to what we see at the beginning of Time in the Rani. But it also needs to pay off themes from the seventh, from the six Doctors' time. And his biggest foe was the Valyard, so let's bring the Valyard back. And then on Tardis Wiki, they say this story bears strong similarities to former script editor Eric Sayward's original vision for the ending of the 1986 serial, The Ultimate Foe. That was the end of Trial of a Time Lord. Mm -hmm. As originally envisaged by Robert Holmes before his passing, which was never produced due to his, meaning Eric Sayward's, quitting work on the series after a fallout with the show's executive producer at the time, John Nathan Turner. Had it, so this is the original ending of Trial of a Time Lord as thought of by Robert Holmes and developed by Eric Sayward, Had it been allowed, featured, the ending would have seen the Sixth Doctor and the Valeyard locked in combat within the Matrix in a climactic struggle for their lives and ending on a cliffhanger. However, at the time, the series was in danger of cancellation, and Nathan Turner argued against its use because it was presented in a way that suggested this could become the Doctor's ultimate fate and therefore could be used as an excuse for cancellation. So, so they may have consciously thought of the original ending of Trial of a Time Lord and say, let's play with that. Let's bring the Valeyard back and put them back in the Matrix battling each other. Interesting.
0: Yeah. That would... I mean, in, and in that case, the Trial of the Time Lord ended with the Sixth Doctor, you know, the, when when it came back, it was now the Seventh Doctor and all of this mm-hmm. had taken place. Mm-hmm. So in a sense, it almost did happen. It wouldn't You include this story. You know, <laughs> it's kind of a mm-hmm. funny... Uh, way to do that well
2: so in the ending that that they talk about um could have been could have gone either way it could have gone on to another season of the sixth doctor you know that he he is able to get out of the matrix and you know continue or a regeneration you know so it would have worked either way as well
0: so. mm, interesting so, uh, and, and I do like how they bring in Sylvester McCoy, uh, mm-hmm. at the end of this with, uh, his voice overlaying yeah. this, uh, Colin Baker's voice, you know, as the regeneration is happening. Uh, it was a nice little, uh, little bonus to this it, uh, story.
1: It's nice time Lord mysticism where the future self appears and yeah, that's really yep. nice.
0: Yep. So any final thoughts, any final notes on this story, uh, father Corey?
2: It would be kind of cool to actually see on TV the little chase sequence at the beginning where Mel's trying to run away in that skimmer. That was kind of kind of fun, but <laughs> from the uh, flying uh,
0: lizard cops. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Exactly.
2: Exactly. Uh, Jimmy, how about you?
0: Nope. All right. So uh, as we finish up, we want to take a moment to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create the secrets of Doctor Who, including Natalie B, Cesar T, N S G R, and Peter G. Their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give make it possible for us to continue The Secrets of Doctor Who and all the shows at StarQuest. And you can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. And we'd also like to thank Victor Lambs who edited this episode. That's it from us. We would love to hear what you thought of The Brink of Death, This Big Finish Story, and the whole Six Doctors' Last Adventure. You can let us know by commenting on the show at sqpn.com or the Secrets of Doctor Who Facebook page or send an email to Doctor Who at SQPN.com or visit the Starquest Discord community at sqpn.com slash Discord. You can watch the secrets of Doctor Who on our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash StarQuest Media. Leave a comment there and be sure to hit the, the subscribe button and the bell to get notifications. We'll be back next time when we'll be discussing the fourth Doctor story, The Pirate Planet. Until then, Father Cory thank you for joining me and sharing the secrets of Doctor Who. Thank you, Dom. Jimmy Akin, thank you as well. Thanks, Dom. And once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to the secrets of Doctor Who on StarQuest. And remember, it's far from being over.